0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: Today's reading is from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by the Father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives, Don't let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection.
0: Gracious God, as we listen to these words of Jesus on the night he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, these deep words promising his eternal presence with us, which means even now, a presence that brings truth, that brings peace, a presence that means we will never be alone or forsaken. For some of us, we long for that sort of peace and presence in our lives. For others of us, we've, long written it off as an impossible goal. We come to this very moment, some of us hopeful, eager, optimistic, joyful. Some of us in pain or sorrow or addiction or just anger. Most of us a mixture of these realities. But however we find ourselves right now, help us to see that we have more in common than we realize. On one hand, each of us is what we might call a beautiful mess. None of us has it all together. Much of life is two steps forward and one step back. And at the same time, you see us in all our complexity, in all our contradiction, in all the ways we get it and the ways we don't get it. You see us, you know us, you love us. And you say, my peace I give to you. We pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd convince us of this great love. You'd open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to the reality of your grace. That you'd enliven us and awaken us and then send us out to be your very hands and feet of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of my favorite memories with my dad, and I don't have a ton of memories with my dad. My mom and dad were divorced when I was really young. My dad passed away in 2010. One of my favorite memories with my dad was when I was a little boy and I was visiting him in Chicago. And he took me for a day trip to go fishing at some river in Illinois and I just have these rudimentary but like deep-hearted memories of walking down the path along the river and there were these venomous snakes in front of us. Um, water moccasins, cottonmouths, very aggressive venomous snakes. And I remember as a child, there was nowhere to go. We couldn't go backward, I forget why. Couldn't go on one side, there was the river, the other side was foliage or a cliff or something. It was, it was like, it was in a movie. And I just remember as a little boy, my dad picking me up in his arms and running toward the snakes and jumping over them and continuing down the path. Now as an adult, I'm not sure if that was the smartest thing to do, but I remember as a child thinking, there was sheer danger there, but as long as I was in my dad's arms, I was safe. We got away from the danger. We literally went over the danger and now we were safe. I was held, I was safe, I was stable, I was secure in the face of danger. And that was one of the deepest memories that I have of my dad. I think it goes so deep because each of us has a desire deep down to know that you will be safe, you will be secure, you will be held. It might not be with a bunch of water moccasins on the side of a river, it might be in life. Florence and our oldest son, Benjamin, and I have been watching the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And, you know, first it was Mandalorian, which was awesome. Then it was Boba Fett, which was meh. Best Boba Fett episodes had the Mandalorian in them. And now it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And this week's episode, there's a a part where the Grand Inquisitor, who works for Darth Vader, is searching out Jedis and has found a a child Princess Leia. She's a, a little kid in this one. And Princess Leia is locked and a prisoner of the Inquisitor. And Leia says, Obi-Wan will come and rescue me. And the Inquisitor, deadpan, says, oh, don't you know? He's dead. No one's coming for you. And your heart sinks in that moment. In all of her intergalactic loneliness, that echoing feeling, no one's coming for you. You're all alone. I wonder, when you put these two big ideas together, if you realize, if you're aware of how much they drive your life. The desire to be known, held, stable, and secure, and the fear that you're all alone in this world and no one's coming. Now, you may try to navigate that by making sure all of the ducks are in a row all the time and control as much of it as you can. You may try to assuage that feeling by being of use or being helpful or serving other people, so as long as you're needed, at least you know, as long as you're helpful, at least you'll be needed. You might take a path of if you can't actually make it, then fake it. Put up the facade and the veneer of making it of success. And on and on it goes. Maybe you're saying, not me, I'm so tough, I don't need anyone. I decided a long time ago, I will not be left behind because I don't need anyone. I'm self-sufficient and they cannot hurt me. I hear you, but I would suggest that all of that armadillo armor might actually be a response to the deeper longing. So are you aware of the way that these things drive all sorts of behaviors and decisions in your life from relationships to career? And conversely, what if the truest thing about you is what Jesus says here, you are known, you are loved, you are held. I will not leave you as orphans. I will be with you. Do you see the resiliency that that offers you in your life? The buoyancy that that offers you? The humility and confidence at the same time? Humility because you're not self-sufficient, and confidence because God would never leave you or forsake you. It's that sort of a life that can navigate anything. Perhaps that's why Jesus can say, I will give you joy, have joy in me, in the night he will be betrayed. This is not a story of spiritually distancing ourselves from pain in this world, or pretending like everything's going to be okay. You know, the worst thing that someone can say to you when you're in deep pain, you know, don't worry, it's all going to work out. It's like, you are not witnessing what's actually happening in my life right now. This is not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, behold, I see the pain. I know the pain. I walk through it with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, how will he never leave us or forsake us? Because I am... Here's a true confession from your pastor. I've never had a face-to-face conversation with Jesus, but I believe he's always with me. How? He tells tells you right here. I will send another advocate. We're going to unpack that. Let's look, and this is all talking about the Holy Spirit as we're in the season of Pentecost, remembering that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell together and God's presence dwells with us through that very second advocate, another advocate, the Spirit. The Spirit. So let's look at what the Spirit does in our lives, and how we access it by looking at the Holy Spirit is the powerful presence of God in you for the world. Okay, the powerful presence of God. He says, Jesus says here, the Spirit is the advocate in verse um, sixteen and twenty-six. The Greek word there is. Paraclete, paracletos, which is translated the one who's called alongside. You have another one called alongside you. Other translations say this is the advocate. Elsewhere, Jesus says this spirit is the comforter, the helper, the counselor. This is the voice and presence of God in you making God's case for you, to yourself. God's presence in you, making God's case for you, to yourself. So when you have that voice of you were all alone, the Spirit comes alongside and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The voice that comes and says, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. We pursue that voice in many, many ways. A couple weeks ago, I was in Seattle doing my side job, coaching the executives at Amazon. And one of the fun things about coaching at the headquarters of Amazon is they have like an executive elevator to get to the top floors. So I'm going up this elevator, and in Amazon design and all the you know, user experience, the walls of the elevator were this really neat opaque glass, and they had dry erase markers. And you could just write any messages you want on the elevator as you're going up and coming down. So on day one, there was like, who's gonna win the championship, Warriors or Boston, and how many, and then people could tally, or how many interns have ridden in this elevator today, so that every intern that comes in would put a little mark. I thought it was cute, it's a great way to spend 25 seconds as you're elevating. And then it got really deep in the afternoon. I got back in the elevator, and someone had written, Am I enough? This is in the executive elevator at Amazon. These are people who are creating the future, who have money, who have education, who have connections, and deep down, this person, probably on a solo elevator ride, wrote, am I enough? Because your job can never answer that question for you. Your job will always tell you you'll be enough with one more promotion. Even the best relationships in the world can only hint at the answer to that question. Because your best friend or the best spouse or the best parent will still let you down at some point. How do you answer that question? Do you say, "Look at me. Look at all that I've done. This is look at me world, this is why I'm lovable." I've done this and so I'm accepted. And you know that is a pathway for exhaustion. What if the voice comes to you first where the Holy Spirit says, I am here for you and with you. So first, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside is making the case for you to yourself. But the Holy Spirit is also translated as the the paraclete, the counselor, who knows you, is for you, and guides you and sometimes makes the case against you for your own good. I mean, that's the mark of a good friendship. When a true friend sees you going away that is dangerous, they will say something. So on one hand, the Spirit encourages, fans the flame, you are loved, and the Holy Spirit says, danger, danger, danger. No one else may be saying this to you. You may be lying to yourself. But I love you too much to ignore you. Where is the spirit warning you now? Not a yes friend. A good friend. Who will tell you the truth. That's the third thing. The spirit of truth in verse 17. Now, truth does not come naturally. On one hand, truth is hard to hear. One time I didn't like how I looked for a whole season and my my response was just to take the the mirrors out of my house. Like, that was my big idea. I just don't want the truth. Truth's hard to hear. But I think even more in our cultural milieu where the only truth that everyone agrees on is there is no truth. That's a relatively new idea. That's kind of post-enlightenment relativism. It, and it's even expanded, I mean, you know this better than I do, and you could probably articulate it better than I can, but I remember going to a conference only 20 years ago at UCLA, talking about the culture of the university in America. And they were talking about postmodernism back then was the big thing to talk about. And they're like, it's, we're not far away until facts will be debatable, and you can have proof and evidence, and still people will not receive it. I mean, we're receiving testimony right now on the January 6th Capitol riot where the former Attorney General of the United States is telling the former president the election had not been stolen. Where the former president's daughter, Ivanka, one of his advisors, is telling him the election has not been stolen. And still, millions of Americans think an election has been stolen. We're in a pl- I'm just giving you an example here. We're in a place where truth is completely transactional and debatable. So it's hard to hear We don't even have a value that we can all agree on something. As you think, as I think about it, I get vertigo. There's like, where do you go with something like that? And Jesus says, but take heart, I will give you the spirit of truth. The spirit of all the ages. I mean, if you think even about truth in a much lighter fashion, like trends, right? Like whatever's in vogue right now will be laughed at in 10 years. And so right now we laugh at the ideas that our parents had or our grandparents had. But you do realize that people in 40 years are going to laugh about your ideas right now. See, relativism relativizes itself. And Jesus says, I will give you a spirit that is enduring and gives you truth. And when when you are convinced you have that truth, it does not make you more pompous or more cynical or more bitter or put other people down. It actually makes you more humble. You begin to say not, I'm so sure of this because I've got God on my side, which is a very dangerous place to be because once you're convinced that God is co-signing your checks, no one can talk against you. (laughs) You're in trouble. You're going to miss that second part of the Holy Spirit, the good friend who will say, warning, warning, warning. He says, I will give you truth. In the midst of a world of swirling ideas and competing facts. Jesus says, how long, how often? Are you spending anywhere near as much time on your newsfeed as you are praying for illumination of the Holy Spirit in your life? Anywhere near. Maybe one of the most powerful prayers you could pray uh, comes from Pope Francis, actually. Holy Spirit, make my heart open to the word of God. Make my heart open to your goodness. Make my heart open to the beauty of God every day. Give me illumination to make me more sensitive to God's things. Because we go through life desensitized. This is a new way of living altogether. The spirit of truth. And he promises to be the bringer of peace. Now, often we, we define peace as the absence of conflict, which... It's a good start. It's nothing less than that, but it's a whole lot more. It's a way of living in this world that could be described as thriving in your relationships with yourself, with God, with others, with the created world. In an individual life, it's beautiful. When you can magnify it to an entire country, or civilization, or tribe, you find a new way of being all together, and the church is called to be an alternative city in the city, an alternative country in the country an alternative civilization in the global civilization, a new way of being altogether that's marked by peace. Now, the second necessary condition in, in popular thought, for in order to have peace in your own life, in your own heart, you need to have calm and tranquil external conditions. You can't have peace when things are going to pieces. In scripture, Jesus actually gives you a picture that says, even when things are going to pieces, you can have peace. I mean, right now, talking about news feeds, you know, I I scroll through, it goes from a war in Ukraine that is now impacting the world grain shortage and storage, as you know, that then impacts the poorest countries in the world, and on it goes, so you scroll a little further and it's the you know fallout from all of the shootings around the country. And you go further and it's the economy and what's going on here. And you say, wow. Oh, by the way, all of that is nothing new. That's nothing new under the sun. Different actors, different players, different regions, same themes. And so we're tempted to think, I can't have peace in the midst of all this. And the invitation is, You can have peace in the midst of any circumstance. You know, you think, all this needs to be resolved. All this needs to be finished. And then I can have peace. My friend, you might be waiting the rest of your life. So the invitation is, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. I give a different kind of peace. Remember, he's saying this on the night he will be betrayed before he goes to the cross. I can give you a constant, powerful presence in your life. And the result is not that you care less about what's happening in the world or in your community or in your family. It's not that you detach yourself, it's that you care more. But you can go about it with hope instead of fear, with true help. Instead of codependency, a new stable place to operate from. He says in verse 20, you and me, and I and you. Verse 23, the Father and I will make our home in you. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus just defined how close God is to you, in you, making his home in you. Elsewhere it says abiding in you, and you abide in him. If Jesus and God the Father have made their home in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, can you imagine there's any distance between you and God right now? And so the Christian life, the deeper spiritual journey, is not the act of finding God. It's recognizing that God has never left you. And opening yourself to what God is doing and saying in your life right now. The powerful presence of God in you. Now there's this troubling part where he says, if you, this is verse 50, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Someone says, you know what, this is what I hate about Christianity. right? If you really love God, you have to do all these things. And let me just say, I hear you, I get that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, the Greek word for if is eon. It's transliterated to English, uh, e-a-n. And it should also be translated as when. When, not if. And the keep my commands is in the super uh, simple future tense. And so a better translation would be, when you love me, you will be keeping these commandments of mine. When you love me, you'll be keeping these commandments of mine. He's not giving conditions for his love. He's already spent John chapter 13, the chapter before, t- telling them that, that his love is already guaranteed to them. So instead, he's reemphasizing, when you're keeping my commandments, you'll be experiencing my love. What were the commandments that he gave? Chapter 13. We, did, we do this The Thursday before Easter, the foot washing, uh, Maundy Thursday, the great mandate. What is the commandment? First, let me cleanse you. Let me clean you up. Let me move toward the dirtiest, most unput together parts of your life and do my best work. Second, as I do that for you, go forward and do that for others. And what he's saying is, as you operate in that way in society, you will be experiencing my love more and more. See, parenting is a funny thing. You know, if anybody in the last year says, like, to anybody who is, t- is caring for a child, like, how's it going? It's like, what part of the story do you want me to begin with? I could tell you stories of glory and stories of tragedy. But one of the funny things about parenting is you can, for your smaller children, feel like, and maybe in actuality, be loving your kids, have good intentions, have wisdom, have more experience, and they still don't listen to you. Wow, big surprise, right? Little one, do this, this, and this because that's dangerous. And they say, no. And they go do that thing and then they get hurt. How do they experience your love? Actually by obeying. When they trust your wisdom and experience and love for them, and they live into that, they experience it even better. And so with all of this, Jesus is saying, I have given you an advocate to come alongside you, to remind you, to convict you, to give you peace, to speak truth. And when you live in that, you will be experiencing my love more and more. The powerful presence of God in you for the world. Judas, I love how John, uh, John, the gospel writer John comments, Judas, not Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was the one who betrayed him, right? So he's like, Judas, not the bad one. <laughs> Good Judas asked him, but how is everybody going to know? And Jesus responds. So Judas asks, what about the rest of the world? Jesus says, I will reveal myself to the rest of the world the same way I revealed myself to you. Person to person, friend to friend. And through that, new creation will radiate throughout the world. And here's the miraculous surprise. As these people who love Jesus go out into the world, Jesus says, my Father and I will go with you. I will take up residence in you, wherever and everywhere you go. You see this later when the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. And he says, Jesus came and, pe- and preached peace to those of you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. And you go back and you flip through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When was Jesus ever in Ephesus? He was not in Ephesus. The point is, any time, A follower of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, preached good news. It was as though Jesus himself was preaching good news. Friends, you have people in your life, opportunities in your life, to be the very presence of Christ wherever you go. Powerful presence of God in you for the world. Now, how do you access it? Here's the key, and we'll end with this. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. How do you access this? You receive the first advocate. Who's the first advocate? Jesus. Who makes his case for you, not on your performance, but on his. Who pleads to God the Father on your behalf, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. He doesn't go before the Father and say, Father, please accept this guy, Matt Nalt, in North Park, 42 years old, father of three. He gets tired, he gets it wrong a lot of the time, but he really is a good chap. And I do like him, can you please, I know he got it wrong again, I know he did it, but would you please accept him? Gosh, I would get exhausted of that type of pleading. But instead, Jesus goes before the Father and says, Father, here are my brothers and sisters. Are they greedy? Yeah. Do they hold grudges? Yeah. Do they get bitter and cynical? Yes. Do they gossip? Sometimes. I ask you not to receive them based on that, but receive them based on my life, death, and resurrection. And so in that way, You build your life on the first advocate. And you're not building it based on your resume, your performance, your ability to just do better. You're building it on a rock. And it's going nowhere. It will never leave you or forsake you. That's the great invitation. Elsewhere, Scripture says, nobody can say Jesus is Lord aside from the Holy Spirit. And so, to be a Christian means... To accept him into your life and trust that this Holy Spirit is operating now. You don't need to kickstart the generator. It's already going. So now you open up and receive. I'll close with this. In the very beginning, I talked about Obi-Wan, the new episode. I think some of you might have thought, oh my gosh, Pastor Matt's totally giving a spoiler for Obi-Wan. Except I wasn't. Because I told you it was little Princess Leia and Obi-Wan, and they said he's not coming because he's dead. But you know, it's Star Wars Episode Four, the original one, starts with a grown-up Princess Leia calling for Obi-Wan. So you know how the story continues. You know she's not going to die here because she makes it to there. And in some comical way, that's a picture of what it's like to be a Christian. That we go through the trials and difficulties of our lives and of this world, but you know where history is going. It's what we celebrate at this table in a moment when we remember this is all heading toward the great heavenly banquet where every tear is wiped from every eye, every injustice is done away with, and death itself is no more. And so you can live now with great hope for where the story is going. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. And so, friends... I invite you now in the season of Pentecost to receive the personal presence of God into your lives. In you, for the world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that you'd help us to receive. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is closer to us than the air we breathe. And so now, we invite you to do your good work in us, in this community, in this world that you'd wake us up to your grace fill us with your spirit and send us out to love others as you have loved us pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit Amen Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.